you're listening to Midlife State of Mind Podcast, hosted by Aaron Beadle and Belinda Fleming, two gals who dish on all the challenges and opportunities that come with this middle section of your life. Each episode, you'll find yourself going between laughter and tears as they cover all the topics you need to know about midlife. Welcome back to Midlife State of Mind. I'm your host, Erin Beadle. And Belinda Fleming. Thank you for joining in today. We're really excited about today's topic. It sounds worse than it is. We're calling it comfort kills. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want anyone to die or yeah. kill anyone. <laughs> exactly. Don't die and don't murder anyone. No, we wanted to talk today about this idea of, I've been calling it comfort kills. Belinda's been calling it a comfort crisis. And basically it's this idea that when you're comfortable all the time, it leads to a decline in your physical, mental, and emotional health. Modern society has gotten to be so weak. We get annoyed by rain. We get annoyed by heat. I mean, we get annoyed when it's too cold, too hot. We are inconvenienced when our plane is late or when we have to sit in traffic. All of these little minor inconveniences that just disrupt our comfort. Mm -hmm. And some people are more vocal about being uncomfortable than others. And actually, it's preferences that cause the suffering. When you are hung up on all of your preferences, you cannot be a happy person. You really can't be. You are at the mercy and the whim of every single preference that you have. So I've been reading and following someone that I enjoy. His name is Michael Easter, and I can relate to his philosophy of this comfort crisis. And he actually has a book, and that's what it's called, Comfort Crisis, Embracing Discomfort to Reclaim Your Wild, Happy, and Healthy Self. And he states that in many ways, we're more comfortable than ever before But could our sheltered, temperature-controlled, overfed, under-challenged lives actually be leading the cause of many of our physical and mental health issues? I agree. And I had a yoga teacher and that was his tagline was comfort kills. And the first time I heard him say that, I was like, what is he even talking about comfort kills? But he was basically saying that we circled the parking lot at the grocery store 20 times to find that front row parking spot instead of just parking at the back of the store and walking. We have these super comfy couches and then we can't get up and down off the floor. And our ancestors, they didn't have AC. So in the summer they were hot and they acclimated to it. Mm -hmm. In the winter they were cold and they didn't have refrigerators so they couldn't they didn't have access to food 24 7 they had to go out and hunt and gather for it they had to plan ahead where I can go in my refrigerator or if I'm inclined which I have to say I've never done this I've never ordered Uber Eats I haven't either now I have yeah. children that have, but I've never. Oh, I have children who, <laughs> I have one who shall remain nameless who just uses Uber Eats like his. I'm like, dude, can you imagine the, what you could do with that money if, if you just invested that amount of money? Right? I'm too cheap to <laughs> order Uber Eats. I'm like, either I'm gonna, either I'm gonna, I'm gonna make something at home, or I'm gonna go and sit in a restaurant and have a meal. Well, modern comforts and conveniences are definitely tied to some of our society's most problematic issues: obesity chronic disease, depression, 
and honestly just a lack of meaning and purpose in your life if you are constantly basically dialed into temperature of 72 degrees Mm -hmm. dialed into being in the comfort of your own home pandemic didn't help with that right when we were all homebound it might have helped with us to entertain the idea of boredom and because of boredom when boredom sets in that's actually not a good or a bad thing it's very neutral but it propels you hopefully to do something productive and a lot of people in pandemic got really creative they learned how to make bread they did house projects that they had been putting off forever they maybe took up painting again because they the construction industry boomed because of diy projects and home improvement well and i know that i i think everyone learned how to make sourdough bread And boredom is great. I used to tell my kids when they would say they were bored, find something to do, make something. We have a cabinet full of art supplies, every game you can imagine. Find something to fill that time. And having a little bit of boredom causes kids to get creative, I think, you know, where you're not scheduled every moment of the time. If you can pull them away from their telephones, their cell Well, we had an age that they, before they could get phones, they had to be going into ninth grade to get a phone in our family. And that was a good thing because the longer you can delay that the better you have for them to actually be creative with right. their with their downtime well and be engaged and I do find myself sometimes getting on my phone and scrolling aimlessly and it's, it's just a lazy a- habit that we get into when we are feeling bored mm-hmm. and it, but it is not a good habit no because it's instant gratification you're getting stimulated by external things rather than getting stimulated by internal things well you're watching someone probably do something very physical and in your mind you're on that journey with them but you haven't left your house. Mm -hmm. That's not a good thing. It's just like watching, remember back in the day when you would watch those roller coaster videos and you would even feel it in your stomach and it felt like you were on the roller coaster? How about let's get out into the world and let's be productive. If you have a pet, take them for a walk. If you want to get out and exercise, it shouldn't be always in your comfort zone though, right? There are ways that you can lean into discomfort that are healthy for you. Well, let's talk about physical discomfort because you've done quite a few challenging physical feats. We talked in a previous episode, you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, you've done several marathons. So tell me, what is your self-talk when you're facing a challenge like that, which you do have a marathon coming up in a few days? Actually, yes, I do, next weekend. And I've been preparing for it for, the training plan started about five months ago. So just the idea of actually registering and signing up for something is an important step making that commitment and then deciding, okay, what are the steps that I need, actionable steps that will get me to the finish line? And the finish line can mean many things. It doesn't have to mean the finish line of the marathon. It could be the finish line to a big project that's something you've always been aspiring to complete and you just have never really committed fully to it. So we'll use my marathon as an Yeah, so when you're going to be running 26.2 miles, what are you going to be telling yourself? I go out on these long runs throughout the five months and those are actually periods where I get to practice what it feels like running that long distance. I keep adding to it. Each and every week there might be a a scientific reason that I add two or three miles but then the next week I drop back on my long run. So I'm preparing my body, physically challenging my body, but then also giving my body an opportunity to recalibrate. to And recover. Yeah, have that recovery. recovery. 
And then there's also the element of I take it very seriously what I eat and what I drink and what I put in my body. And so when I'm training for something, I'm more mindful of all of those things. I try to be disciplined anyway, whether I'm training for something or not. But I do feel like when you commit to running a marathon or whatever it might be, you're upping the ante, you're upping your game to a higher plane and you're committing to something that is a little bit outside of you and you're not a hundred percent sure if you're going to be successful or not and so that motivates you to be disciplined and put in the work so every time I do a long run I think of it as putting money in the savings account that I will pull from on race day and that really resonates with me it's like okay today I've got to run 16 miles I'm not really looking forward to it but I really want to show up at this race prepared so today I'm gonna have to just hunker down you're gonna have to put in the time and the effort in the miles and embrace the suck of it some days it hurts it doesn't feel good maybe I didn't sleep good the night before I just got a new puppy and she's keeping me up yeah so if you hear any little chewing in the background it's because Daisy Jones is hanging out with us with her little chew toy she's 16 weeks old and she is precious oh my gosh I'm in love with her Uh, she's adorable and so we're not chewing our cud I know that was one of our previous (laughs) episodes where we chew the cud no she's chewing a chew bone yeah exactly just to keep her quiet so do you talk to yourself. I have mantras. I I practice pranayama breathing. Mm -hmm. I really sometimes I'll put on a playlist and I'll have my AirPods in and I really am into that. Mm -hmm. Other times I'll say, hey, no music today. I'm just going to really dial it into my surroundings. surroundings. Take in what you're seeing and notice. And so what, what I think is it's important to pick goals where you're increasing the movement. Like we don't move enough. We, we sit too much in chairs. We drive too much spending time in our cars. And we actually really need to get out and move our bodies, whether that's in a gym, whether it's in a yoga studio, or whether it's outdoors, walking your dog or hiking on a trail. Or if and, you do workouts at home. I, I have a lot of friends that do workouts at home. I mean, anything that gets you active every day. And always try to find your edge, you know, occasionally, not every single time. It doesn't always have to be this where you're putting forth 150% effort because that will create burnout, which we've talked about recently. You have to find the balance. And in yoga, we call that sthira and sukha. And the stira is this being the fire and what what pushes you and propels you forward. And the sukha is finding this surrender and this holding space for just being. And sometimes when you're working on the balance of both, guess what? Sometimes you have to give yourself permission to be in the discomfort and be okay with being in discomfort. That's not a bad thing. Discomfort, I think, is where we grow and it's where we see what's possible within ourselves. I don't run marathons or I haven't climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, but I love to lift weights and I'm always looking to push myself a little bit more. I do a daily handstand practice. Even though I don't necessarily get a whole lot better, like I can't float my legs up, which was my initial goal when I started doing this 10 10 or 12 years ago, I was like, I want to be able to flip my legs up. It may never happen, but I still do it every day. I challenge myself. I challenge my balance, my vestibular system, right? By just getting upside down. And it's also a commitment that I made to myself that I'm going to get upside down every single day. I mean, there are times that I've had to take a break, surgery, you know, illness or what have you. But if I'm going to work out, I'm going to get upside down. And it's, I'm never like, this is so easy. Right. It's always uncomfortable, but I still do it even when I don't want to do it today. And you know what else? You just hit on something really good. I'll be honest, you know, my best marathon time
time is four and a half hours. And as I've gotten older, my marathon times are getting longer and you know, I'm a little bit slower. It does not matter to me. That isn't the point. The point is that I'm challenging myself, that I'm actually noticing and, and being disciplined with my training schedule and being disciplined with my nutrition. I'm challenging myself at every age group mm-hmm. that I move into the next age group or whatever. And I'm running for me personally. Right. It's this journey that, you know, that I'm on with myself and I'm my best. You're not comparing yourself to anyone else. You're not racing against anyone else. You're racing against yourself of just for the accomplishment of actually committing yourself to this endeavor. Absolutely. And I'm my own best friend. And I talk to myself, I enjoy it, I get encouragement from doing it. It really doesn't matter how fast or how slow that I am. It's that I feel empowered when I do it. Right. And I feel resilient. And I realize that this life is challenging. And everything about life, nothing comes easy. And if it's easy, then maybe you're doing it wrong. Because everything shouldn't feel so comfortable and be so easy in your life. It might mean that you're very complacent and that you aren't you know, I think it's important to expand your edges. And Mm -hmm. I think it's important to experience what your relationship with being uncomfortable or discomfort or having to push yourself a little bit more to get to the next step or the next level. Or, you know, we talk about touchstones in life, right? And sometimes we can look back and we can see that what we thought was the hardest thing ever got us to the next best thing that we couldn't see. But we, if you keep showing up and you keep doing the handstands and you keep doing the long runs and you do all these things, you're going to be stronger because of it. And we don't know what's coming down the pipe tomorrow. We don't know what life has in store for us. And so I think it's really important that you get up every single day and that you're committed to not staying in your comfort zone. Speaking about discomfort, several years ago, you know, as my hormones changed and going through that perimenopause, menopause, and I gained weight, kept gaining weight, kept gaining weight. I've talked about it before in another episode, but I finally was like, okay, I I want to get back to my normal weight. And I'm not a fan of diet culture at all. I just knew for me that I feel better when I weigh a certain amount. So I just said, you know what? Make friends with hunger. I don't have to feed myself every time I feel a little hunger pain. I can just sit with it and just notice it. And it doesn't feel good, but it's not going to kill me it to is be a hungry. Form, it is a form of discomfort that actually can be healthy if you have the right mindset. We talk about fasting. Mm-hmm. We talk about people giving giving up something during Lent. A lot of times it is around food sometimes because we're overfed. Let's be honest. We live in a culture where we can call Uber Eats. Mm-hmm. We can go walk to the refrigerator in the pantry and there's excess of snacks and things. The majority of us aren't going hungry, thankfully, but we are living in a time where the cost of food is going up and up and up and inflation is at an all-time high. So don't think for a moment there aren't people in America that are truly hungry. And it gives you some compassion for people who actually don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yes, and it could be our neighbor. It could be children that are going to school with our own children. I mean, it. we want to be dialed into the fact that this level of comfort of being overfed or whatever is almost an entitlement kind of mindset. And we need to pull away and we need to realize that that is going to lead 
down the road to obesity. Mm-hmm. It could. I'm not saying it will for everyone, but it is okay to be hungry. Yeah, and I just said, make friends with being hungry. That's just what I did. I, I was like, and I'm going to treat hunger. And didn't it you to the next level of dropping whatever it amount of weight? It helped me drop my weight because I just decided that instead of every time that I felt a hunger, I wasn't going to give in to that hunger. Because I knew I didn't need to. I was I had gained 30 pounds. I knew I could, I knew what I my normal weight was. Well, I mean, not to spend too much time on the, the idea of the hunger. It is something that shows up in Michael Easter's book, The Comfort Crisis. And he actually states that we don't like to be hungry. It used to make sense when there wasn't enough food around because it would really drive you to eat. And when you would eat, you would be rewarded with this shot of dopamine, this feel-good chemical in your brain. But now we live in a sea of processed foods. We live in an area where we can have access to food 24-7. And it begins to work against us. And we so we just really need to be mindful of it. Yeah. Is that an area that maybe check your relationship with food? Check your relationship with boredom? Check your relationship with creating more movement in your life? Mm-hmm. These are all important things that can get us out of this idea that comfort is going to kill us. It it might bring us to an early death. And we all want to live a full life and a happy, fulfilled life. There's also this idea of emotional discomfort that is different than physical discomfort that I think that oftentimes, especially in today's society where we are like all so ready to be offended and triggered and then we need our safe space because our feelings are hurt or we feel like we're being attacked. And we've talked about the idea of always looking to be offended. And you had mentioned cancel culture that anybody that we don't agree with, we're like, you're making me uncomfortable. (laughs) And there is something to be said for emotional discomfort. I'm not talking about emotional abuse. We're not talking about bullying or any of those things. But just that everyone is so... It's okay to have hard conversations, right? right? And we talked about that in communication during times of conflict, that we really have to sometimes challenge ourselves to feel the discomfort, the emotional discomfort, because that especially is where a lot of personal growth comes in because then we're able to really mature. Um, and one of the things that I want to point out is that all of this is designed, all of the discomfort is really designed to create resiliency in us. And growth and transformation. Absolutely. And those are all amazing things. And if life is pretty easy for you, the odds are you're probably not growing. I think that some people naturally are more resilient than others. But when we when we face challenges or even seek them out, which obviously you've sought them out with marathons and climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. I like to do hard things. I mean, it is part of my makeup. I mean, when I was a kid, my dad expected me to go out and work in the garden. My dad expected me to mow. We had five acres and we had a, a, a riding lawnmower. That isn't difficult stuff to do, but I know that my peers weren't expected to do those things. I've always worked. I've always had a job and I know a lot of people that don't work and aren't expected to work. I think those kinds of ideas about your your work ethic, your moving your body, being active, start early in life. Definitely your early childhood experiences. What I was going to say, one of the best ways to get me to do something is to tell me that I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, reverse psychology. I'm like, oh, you want to watch me? Uh-huh. I'm like, no, it's going to happen now. I just, also, I think I am, I don't know that that's necessarily a good trait, but I'm really stubborn. Yeah. So when other people will give up, like for instance, if you know me in real life, you know that I have a little side hustle makeup business. And if you know anything about direct sales, people give up after two months because they don't see the results that they want. 
Or um, friends and family say no. And, and they get, get offended because yeah. they're like, well, no one wants to buy from me. <laughs> I'll be celebrating my sixth year anniversary with my company the end of May. And there was a million times I could have given up. And there were some days I gave up for the day. Right. Because it would be a hard day. I would get a no or, you know, or somebody would have me do a makeover and they wouldn't order. So maybe I gave up that day. But I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not going to quit. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there's just not a lot of things that I will ever quit at. And then It's one of the reasons at- why I say Jeff and I have been married for thirty, almost 33 years. Because we say we're both just too, just too stubborn to give up. Throw in the towel. <laughs> yeah. And so many years have been invested, right? You're, you're, you're not going to walk away from that. No. So. So, well, yeah. So it's really something to think about when you do... When you're willing to embrace discomfort, it helps you build resiliency. You learn how to be positive because you look at, notice the little things to have gratitude for. Mm -hmm. If you've ever lived without AC, if your AC is ever broken in the summertime here in Georgia or anywhere where it's hot, then you don't take the AC for granted, right? Because you're like... You're more grateful for it. Absolutely. You learn how to make a commitment, which Mm -hmm. is something that is a really important thing because it just helps you see something through. You learn also, I think, to be honest with yourself because you you look at your either your commitment level or your lack of commitment. When you make a commitment to something, if you don't stick to it, you don't try to make excuses for it Mm -hmm. because you're willing to acknowledge that you gave up, which is important. I think also failure is important. Failure is a part of discomfort too. And it's okay to fail at something. And then it's okay to dust yourself off and get back up. And maybe it's worthy of another try or maybe you move on to something else, right? Right. You learn something each time. Yeah. There's this idea of stoicism, which is the philosophy that embraces hardship. And one of the books that I had referenced was called The Spartan Way by Joe DeSena. And he said that humans need challenges to thrive, grow, and accomplish significant feats. And the ancient Spartans built one of the first democracies and one of the greatest militaries on a foundation of a rigorous training program and a strict moral code designed to develop endurance. So it was a physical and that emotional aspect and emotional mental, we could say. So I... I want to be a Spartan. I mean, I want to live your life. I want to fight to the death, you know, not fight somebody to the death, but I want to fight until I die to live the best life I can. Well, it's it's in our human nature. It's in our DNA to survive and be survivors. I think of the man in the arena. I have to just share it and I won't share every bit of it. But when you talk about this idea of being a bystander, right? We're not going to listen to the people that are the naysayers and the that aren't even living, they're living by default or they're sitting on the sidelines. And it's almost like when you're bored and you tune in to say YouTube or videos and you're just watching these people do all these adventurous things, but then it's, why aren't you out there doing right, that? Like an armchair quarterback. <laughs> yeah, why aren't you out there doing that? We're missing the mark if we are not dropping in and being physically connected to our bodies physically connected to the emotional stimulation of of putting yourself outside of your comfort zone it's not the critic who counts and not the man who let me find it it's not the critic who counts not the man who points out how how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, 
who come short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end of the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that is his place. That his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Who wrote that? Uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Those are wise words. Well, I think we'll end on that. That was a great way to end. I happen to love that. I've read it before and I'm so glad that you thought of it because I didn't think it's of powerful. it. It's powerful. Yeah. It's very powerful. The man in the arena. So hopefully you guys, our listeners, are getting in the arena. Follow us on all the socials. You know where to find us, Midlife State of Mind Podcast on Facebook and IG. And if you go to our website, midlifestateofmindpodcast.com, learn more about our upcoming retreat. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye. This has been an E-Squared production. 